Well, hey, it's so good to have you. Glad you're joining us online. Glad that all of you are actually here with us in the room today. And uh, we're really excited. Just um, a lot has changed in the last couple of weeks, has it not? And uh, whether it's with our country or whether it's all over the world, it seems like day or every day has been different than the one before it. And so we're excited, not because of the circumstances that prevent us from being together as a large group, uh, but we're excited for the opportunity that God is actually working in the midst and despite a lot of the brokenness and a lot of the confinement, and even through a lot of the fear that's going on in our country right now. So I wanna ask you a question. I wanna ask you guys a question here in the room too. Um, have you ever wondered what's going on behind the scenes right now? Yes. <laughs> have you ever wondered like what's going on in the offices of the CDC or the White House or Congress? Have you ever wondered what's going on in, in the offices of like schools or nonprofit organizations or big companies? Have you ever wondered what's going on behind the scenes right now that we can't see? Uh, I remember when I was younger, my family actually waited until all of us kids were older. Uh, I'm the oldest of four, so they waited until all of us were old enough to remember taking us to Disney World. So we'd never been before, and ironically enough, I don't remember much of it. But the thing I do remember was there was this one piece in Epcot, and uh, it was called Hollywood Studios. And what you do is you get to show up and sit in, and so there's different movies or different themes. And one of my favorite movies growing up was Indiana Jones. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come on. So Indiana Jones. I loved watching Indiana Jones. It was fun. Um, so we showed up and we sat through, and the whole purpose of this was to share and give an inside view and an inside look into the behind the scenes of the making of the Indiana Jones movies. And so they chose three scenes, three significant scenes in which stunts happened or uh, plot change or twists or whatever. And so they invite the audience not just to see what's on the big screen, but what happens behind the screen and behind the cameras. And they even let the audience get involved and be a part. And here's what I remember thinking. I remember knowing ahead of time, and I remember watching the movie knowing there's got to be more going on to this, but I never realized how much actually went on behind the scenes to set up the movie that eventually we would all watch later on. I think God's doing that right now. If I can be honest with us, I think in our world right now and in our countries right now and even in the church right now, I think there's a whole lot more going on behind the scenes that most of us don't know about, most of us haven't seen, and most of us haven't had a reason to look for until right now. So we're going to jump in. If you have a Bible at home, if you have a Bible here, go ahead, open it up or your phones. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. It starts in verse 2. Jesus turns to his disciples, uh, all 12 of them, and then invites three of them, Peter, James, and John. And he says, let's go for a walk. So they go for a walk and they head up the top of a mountain. It doesn't tell us what mountain, but the significance is that it was a mountain. All throughout scripture, if you read uh, mountaintops, like the peaks and the pinnacle and the tops of the mountains were often places of divine revelation from God. God would reveal something to his people at the top of a mountain. And so Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they walk to the top of the mountain. And here's what happens. Mark chapter nine, verse two. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Jesus, the miracle was that Jesus' glory, Jesus' personhood of the Son of God actually shone through the humanity. And so Peter, James, and John are all there and they're watching this and, and the glory of Jesus literally is bursting forth and it looks like light and it looks like lightning and it's so white that they said nobody in the world could bleach it as white as that. This miracle is happening on the top of the mountain. And then verse 4, it says, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. So this is a big deal. 
This is something, and it's funny that the text doesn't even tell us how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. But for all three of the disciples there, they had no doubt that Moses and Elijah were conferring with Jesus on the top of a mountain. And you could only imagine what they were talking about or what was going on. And, and then before we even get into that, I mean, I, I want to unpack who Moses is and who Elijah is. Moses, if we go to the Old Testament, Moses is the leader that led God's people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Led by God, Moses led the people out of Egypt. And then Moses had a significant encounter with God as they're walking around in the desert for 40 years. Moses leads a couple other men up to the top of a mountain and God shows up and gives Moses what we know as the Ten Commandments. God gives Moses the law. So Moses, as Moses comes down and gives the law to the people, Moses and the, and the significance of Moses actually carried on from that moment all to, to today. That Moses, especially if you were a Jew, would look at Moses and you would know the significance of Moses is a representation of the law that God gave for his people. So Moses is on the top. He represents the law, God speaking, giving his law, his commandments to his people there on the top of the mountain. And then Elijah. Elijah was one of the most influential prophets as we look at the Old Testament, a prophet who would speak into the lives of individuals. He would speak into the, the workings and the people on courts. He would speak into the lives of kings and leaders and nation rulers. I mean, Elijah was so significant. He was God's mouthpiece to a very significant point leading up to the coming of Jesus. All of the prophecies, both Elijah and so many other prophets, led up to the person and the culmination of Jesus. And so here we are at the top of the mountain. And you got Peter and James and John and, and another gospel in Luke, it says they were tired. They were tired. And so it's like they're kind of opening their eyes and they're looking and they're seeing not just Jesus, but they're also seeing Moses and Elijah. And in the midst of like the most important, some of the most important influential people leading up to and in the Jewish faith, now Jesus is conferring with them. Peter, of all people, has the audacity to say something. And he goes, hey, it's good to be here. <laughs> Bible has to cover for him. It says he didn't know what to say. Check this out. Verse 5, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The Bible covers. He didn't know what to say because he was so frightened. He was so afraid of all the people. Peter says something, and he says this. He offers something. He says, hey, Jesus, do you want to build you guys something? You guys want tents? Because <laughs> he, he doesn't know what else to say. But here's the, the funny thing about the word that he chooses, the word for tent, uh, also translates as uh, tent or, what's the word? Tabernacle. 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 Peter offers to build three tabernacles for three of the most influential men that Peter has ever heard of or known in his entire life or known in the Jewish faith. And so here they are, the three men at the top. Peter says, do you want me to build three tabernacles for you, three tents for you, three, three shelters for you? And God speaks before Jesus could even address it. Let's keep reading. It says this, verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus just turning around, looking at Peter like, really? 
This was going to go on for like a couple more hours. Really? You got to speak now? But I want you to, to catch this. When God speaks on the top of the mountain, when God speaks, he's not just speaking to Peter. I believe he's speaking to all of humanity because oftentimes what we love to do as people is we love to build. We love to build things. We love to build things for God even. We love to build churches and church buildings. We love to build houses. We love to build economies. We love to build hospitals. We love to build. We like to build and create and craft something. But here's the significance. God does not let Peter build. Why? Because here's what God knows. And I think here's what we need a reminder of, especially today in our society and in our world right now. The things that we build will never last. The things that we build will not last. I went on a mission trip when I was in high school. First international mission trip ever. I went to Haiti and I remember our leader, once we got there, we got settled and we're sitting down and we're in a group much like this, not a big group, group of like 10 of us. And we're sitting around the table and our leader says, before we start this week, I wanna tell you something. We are here to build relationships because it is the only thing that will last forever that any building we build will eventually fall down, any building that we paint, the paint will eventually fade away. Anything that we build, regardless of how good or how pure intentioned it is, whatever it is that we build will eventually disappear and go away. And I believe God was saying this to Peter, just like he is saying to us, what we build doesn't last, but what Jesus builds lasts forever. So he's saying, as he looks at them, he's saying, building is not your job. It's Jesus' job. Jesus is building his church. You know, right now, I believe if we could look behind the scenes, what we would see and we would be surprised is that Jesus is actively building his church in ways a lot of us have nothing, we have no idea about. We have no context for, we've never seen, we've never witnessed. And I wanna speak to those, especially at home and those even in the room right now who are fearful who are afraid, who have anxiety, who wonder, what about me? What about my job? What about my income? What about my family? What about my health? I'm, I'm immunocompromised, or I'm at risk, or I'm, I'm scared. Here's what I wanna speak to you. The same Jesus yesterday is the same today as he will be tomorrow and forevermore. And so he is actively at work, just like on the mountaintop, addressing his disciples saying, I am building my church. And he builds it differently than we build stuff. Uh, Luke's account, if you read Luke's gospel of this, I'd encourage you to do it at home. Uh, Luke's account, what he says is uh, the disciples were so sleepy that they're finally opening their eyes and realizing what's going on. And Luke gives us an insight into the conversation that they were having up on the mountaintop. It says they were discussing Jesus' departure in Jerusalem. For those of you that don't know what that means or what that's alluding to, what Jesus was sharing with Moses and Elijah that the disciples were privy to was Jesus was saying, I'm about to go to the cross. That isn't it funny, just as we said earlier, that mountaintops were known as places of divine revelation where God speaks. Jesus was saying, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, the significant men of history have led up and built up to me, but this moment right here isn't the moment yet. This is a glimpse. The moment is gonna be on a different mountaintop called Calvary, where Jesus is gonna lay on the cross and he's gonna hang there for the world to see, for Peter, James, and John to look. And you can only imagine them remembering this is what he talked about on the mountain, that Jesus and the way that Jesus builds a family and the way that Jesus builds a kingdom is not the way that we build families and kingdoms. The way he does it is through death. 
and death on a cross for us. Man, such a significant moment in history. And so God, as God speaks, he says, this is a kingdom that will never end. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Can I ask you right now, just at home and then in this room, who are you listening to right now? Who are you listening to right now? Um, I don't know about you, my email has blown up <laughs> by people I don't need to hear from, right? It's like credit card companies are letting us know how they're handling the coronavirus, <laughs> which is not helpful, right? Grocery stores are letting us know, hospitals are letting us know. Here's the one that, that actually hurts. Um, missions organizations are letting us know. And uh, I just can't help but think, you know, here we are, we're in the United States of America, many of us watching online, not everybody. But here we are in the United States and there's missions partners and church partners and our church family members all over the world. I got one last night that just said our giving cut in half. In a moment where the world is terrified and scared and anxious and nervous and angry and curious, in a world full of these emotions, can I encourage you not to listen to the fear, not to listen to the anxiety, but to listen to the words of Jesus, just like God spoke and said to his disciples on the top of the mountain. Matthew 16, verse 18, this happened shortly before Jesus reminds Peter, in this moment, Peter and the rest of the disciples are with Jesus and they're walking. And Jesus turns around and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And says, some, said, some said you're Elijah. Some said you're Elijah. Isn't that funny that Elijah was right before this event? They said, some people say you're Elijah. And to remove all doubt, Elijah's on the mountain. Oh, no, 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 Jesus isn't Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Well, nope. Close. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of all people, says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus turns to him and he says this, Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, which means little rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. On this truth, on this understanding that I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, I will build my church. And what he does with his disciples is the same thing that he does with us, is he extends us an invitation to be a part of his building the church. And I think the hard part for a lot of us is Jesus builds differently than we build, but Jesus invites us to build the same way that he builds, not through life, not through our hands, not through our ideas and strategies, but through his, which often come with death. And namely, as we just talked about last week, picking up our own cross to follow him, believing, and not just believing, not just saying, but also living in obedience. When I pick up my cross, when I sacrifice, it is for the kingdom. I am living like Jesus lived, and I am doing, I am obeying what Jesus said to do. I wanna remind you right now that Jesus is building his church. 
that behind the scenes, behind the doors, in the closed rooms, in the environments that you can't see, in the at-risk populations, in the countries all over the world, Jesus is actively building his church and he's preparing and he's tilling the ground for an unbelievable harvest. And we, what we need to hear is not gloom and doom, but joy and anticipation of what God is actually going to do when we see suffering, God sees life. So I have a friend, his name's John, and John and I were talking on the phone earlier this week, and John's a member of one of our churches, and so he said a couple weeks ago, he just felt like God was stirring in his heart, get out in the community and go be with people. So he lives not too far from a homeless shelter, so he went down, he started volunteering, serving in the homeless shelter, and he'd serve food, or you know, people wouldn't wanna do dishes, so he'd volunteer, he'd say, I'll, I'll go clean the dishes. And it was doing the dishes, doing the tasks that he didn't really wanna do and nobody else wanted to do, actually met another man who was at the mission uh, who also wanted to serve and give back, right? We don't often hear stories of that. People who are coming to receive also looking to give. And so John meets his friend Jason. And so they're doing dishes together and strike up a conversation and all was well. And eventually they leave and part ways. Well, the next day, John uh, takes his dog out of his apartment to go for a walk downtown Grand Rapids. And who do you think he runs into? Jason. And he says, oh, this is funny. It's funny seeing you here. I didn't anticipate you coming and blah, blah, blah. And, and he says he felt a conviction like I should invite him to something, but, but got scared. I think his exact words for me, I had chickened out. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to be weird. I didn't want to be awkward. I kind of wanted to maintain distance. And so they parted ways and they left. And he said he got back to his apartment and he felt such conviction because he felt like God had more to a purpose for this interaction. And so he gets down on his knees and he prays this prayer. And I want to encourage all of us to pray this. He says, God, would you give me an opportunity tomorrow to meet with him again? If you orchestrate it, God, I won't waste the opportunity. So the next day he wakes up and he gets his dog and he walks out and he opens up the door to head outside. And the one person that he can see downtown Grand Rapids is who? Jason. And he said their paths were coming so much so that you could not avoid running into each other. He said, the only way I could avoid him was if I turned around and walked the opposite direction. <laughs> so he said, they come in and they, they meet. And he says, Jason, I was thinking about this. Um, do you want to come up and have coffee with me in my apartment? And Jason says, sure. And so they come up and they spend not one hour, not two hours. They spend three hours in John's living room talking about the stories that led up to where they were right now. And John was blown away by Jason's story and what God had been doing and preparing. And Jason was blown away by John's story at what God had been doing and preparing in them. But here's the thing that they didn't tell us or that I guess eventually came out was the next day, John invited Jason to go to church with him. So Jason shows up at church. He goes, I don't, I don't have clothes. I don't have like church clothes. And John goes, well, I got extra. I have some of mine. So wearing some of John's clothes, he walks into church and he walks into one of our church campuses here called Frontline and he walks in and he says, are you kidding me? And John goes, what? He said, I've been watching this church's services at the homeless shelter for the last month. And I thought this was a place that was far off, that was not tangible, that I would never see or never get to experience in person. And now I'm here. And John goes, are you kidding me? John then invites him to his men's group that met during the week. John then invited him to their young adults group that met during that week. John then opened up his apartment and said, if you ever need a place to crash, if you ever need a place to shower, if you ever want to get out of the mission, come to my house. What he said is we're studying daily together. They're reading their Bible together. They're praying together. They're doing life 
together. Here's what he finally, what Jason finally told John, is he said, the day that you invited me up for coffee, I was actually having a conversation with God that you knew nothing about. And I was angry and I was upset and I was hurt because I felt like God was ignoring me. I looked at my needs, I looked at my wants, I looked at the state that I was in and I was broken and hurting and needing something from anyone. And I finally said to God, you know what? If you're not gonna meet my needs, then maybe you and I should just part ways. And then I met you and you invited me up and changed the direction of his life. If I could say anything to the people in this room, to the people in your living room, to the people that you're connected to on social media or at work or wherever, God is at work in people's lives right now in ways we have no idea about, no idea. And maybe what we look at and, and we see suffering, God says is preparation. He's preparing and he's tilling and he's getting the ground ready so that when the church shows up and the church lives as the church should be, the church that Jesus is building, not the church that we're building, not a, a big building, not a, a big worship service, not, not small groups, not the church that Jesus is building is people. And he says, I'm building my church, I'm building my people so that they can go out into the world in the context that only they can get into and that they can be me in flesh. Not a billboard, not a representation, not an advertisement, but me. I believe God's preparing the world right now for a move of Him. As I hear stories, and I'm sure you've heard them too, it's kind of fun watching um, giant companies like Amazon or Amway and hospitals and all, all these big organizations and companies that are actually coming together and streamlining processes and products and available resources that they're actually all coming together and they're all working together for the good of humanity to survive this virus that no one's ever encountered before. Isn't it funny that the world around us is rallying as one? Here's my question, is the church? I believe God's deepest longing for his church is that they would do the same thing. That people, regardless of demographic, regardless of age, regardless of income, regardless of job, regardless of nationality, regardless of anything, denomination would come together as one church to point one direction at Jesus. That's it. That's it. I think crises like the one that we're in right now, it, it often forces us to hone in on the main thing. Because isn't it true we forget? As I was driving last night, just in preparation, I turned on worship music, parked my truck, and just listened. And I, I said these words. I said, God, I miss being in the church environment on a Sunday morning. I love the worship. I love it. I love the, the energy that is felt by a large group of people. I love the lights and I love the music. And I, I just, there's every part of it that I love. And, and what God said is, but you're not missing worship. Worship's about me. That God lives here in us, in me, that worship can take place anywhere. That the church can take place anywhere. You can exclude meeting, you can prohibit it, you can restrict it, you can do anything. Here's what you can't stop. You can't stop Jesus building his church. And so I just, I wanna invite you at home, just like we all are in this room, I wanna encourage you to be the church at this moment. I want you to be the church. 
Um, I told you earlier, my missionary friend, he's down in Belize. Um, he's planted over 200 churches. He's baptized thousands upon thousands of people. He feeds kids, he gives medicine to them. And he said, my giving dropped 50%. Organization called International Servants. International Servants, we come together as internations to serve. And he said, my giving cut 50% from the American church. Friends, I'm gonna say something that might surprise you. Um, but I believe it's from the Lord. I don't think this is a time for us to hold back and to stop giving. I think it's a time for us as a church to start giving, to increase our giving. Doesn't mean just to the local church, but to the church all around the world, to some of the most at-risk demographics and populations, to the church that, that is struggling right now, to the church that's hungry right now, to the church that's sick right now. It is our calling and our mission as the church <clears throat> to further the church with what we've been entrusted with. So what I wanna to do together is I just wanna pray. I just wanna close this out in prayer. And I wanna read Matthew 9, verse 38. It says this, then he said to his disciples, talking about Jesus, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We're gonna pray for you in this room and in this space right now that you as the church would go be the church this week to people that only you can be church to. And if you haven't yet made a relationship with Jesus uh, a priority in your life, if you haven't yet done that, I just wanna give you the opportunity to do that right where you're at right now. That Jesus, the one true living God, hung on a cross for you and me for our sins, not because of anything we did or what we deserved, but because of who He is and who he was capable of and what he was out to accomplish, which was the building of his church. Jesus' church will prevail, regardless of the coronavirus, regardless of governments, regardless of organizations or businesses or income, whatever it is, Jesus' church will fail and he's inviting all of us to be a part of it. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We so love you. And Father, we're grateful for a time right now that has forced us to come to grips and reality with who you are. That none of us has the illusion of control that maybe we have thought we had. Father, every one of us is susceptible and, and as we fight this enemy called the coronavirus together, Father, I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of the real enemy that we're fighting. Father, I pray that you would continue to build your church that you would raise up leaders, people who have been afraid or people who have been hiding or people who, who have loved to just blend in. I pray that you would activate them today and this week and through this pandemic so that your church would not just grow, but that it would grow exponentially. That people would come to a saving faith and knowledge of who you are and that they would give their lives to you. Father, I pray that you would wake up your church. I pray that you would wake us up as people. Father, I thank you for the own workings that you've done in my heart and just a reminder of who you are and your goodness and your faithfulness and your love. Father, allow us to give ourselves to you wholly and fully for the sake of your kingdom, one that Jesus is building that will never end. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen.